0: Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you Art Monthly's talk show on Residence 104.4 FM. This is a show based on the current issue at the time of recording, which this time is the July-August issue of Art Monthly, which is number 368. And it is a double issue, obviously, covering two months. Now, in it, there's a feature by Christopher Townsend on the legacy of the British generation at MTV. And we're going to be discussing that. But before I do go any further, I just want to say to you that it is possible to subscribe to the magazine, from which we are talking about the feature, um, for a mere £29, which gets you 10 issues. That's 10 issues for only £29. And if you go to www.artmonthly.co.uk, you can do it there. You might need to print a form out and send it free of post to subs. That's Hannah Sharp at Art Monthly's office or you can email Hannah, subs at artmonthly.co.uk with the form if you're willing to scan it. But it's a very good deal and I do highly recommend it. And it is what the magazine is, what the programme is based on. So it's great great to think you might want to read the feature that we're going to discuss. So today I'm joined, obviously as it may be implied, by Christopher Townsend. Hi Chris. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming in again. Um, We're going to be discussing this at nice length because we've got a bit of time. Um, We call this feature art as commodity as art now that's you know just to try and come up with something snappy and attractive but you may have called it something else but basically the pictures generation and mtv feature quite strongly in this and you begin uh by mentioning them in the first paragraph what do you say about them well Actually, I kind of want
1: to almost go back a little bit oh, to see how I got to talking about the pictures
0: generation and MTV. Yeah, Actually, I was going to say, you, you, in your first sentence, actually, you talk about the history of art yeah. being very important in the early As, 1980s. This, well, this particular
1: moment. And what drove this essay originally was an exhibition at PACT in Liverpool. At fact, fact, Yes. yes. Yeah. yes. Which... Um, Came out of a German, originally out of a German institution, but which looked at the history of the pop video and started to equate the pop video emerging with MTV, born 1981, um, within the history of video art, taken very loosely, since they also managed to include a substantial chunk of the history of avant-garde film in the 1930s, um, which
0: they actually showed. Yeah. That and well. to
1: the, yes, and to the, yes, and it's kind of okay. Um, we might come back to talk about yeah, whether yeah. you can actually quote Oscar Fishinger's kind of syncopation of abstract film to Beethoven symphonies, um, <laughs> as to whether that's somehow equivalent to Ultravox doing Vienna or Cindy Lauper, who I see we have featured in my photographed in my feature. Um, the but what I was interested in was that convergence of. The pop video, which is to all intents and purposes advertising, with the history of art.
0: You mean it's advertising the song?
1: It's a promotion. It's a promotional media. What? What is the? What would a pop video exist if there was no demand to actually sell a quote record? And just calling it a record immediately dates me. I'm sorry, guys, but we, um, we understand completely. You know, um, I come from the age when people still bought singles, and. Um, but that's what pop videos were for. Pop videos were a promotional tool for bands, to publicise bands in order to sell more records. So how does that relate back, let's say, to the history of video art? But that made me think about a congruence in art in the early 1980s, which in a sense was, on the one hand, there was a very clear convergence of pop video in its early days and video art in the early 1980s because you had, on the one hand, people like John Sanborn and Kit Fitzgerald, making, who were video artists at that time, actually also kind of making pop pop work, and you had very good, serious video artists, people like Dara Birnbaum, making a move into using the new digital tools that were becoming available in the, 19, in the early 1980s and making important works which kind of radically reconfigured the narrative possibilities of time-based media using those tools and using, in some cases, things like, you know, kind of fan wipes, split screens, the kind of things that were absolute staples of the pop video became elements of the narrativity of the fine art video, but
0: they drive the narr- narrativity. The, oh, indeed, the yeah, they, yeah, yeah, fact. yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and so that was kind of one element of this kind of convergence. Let's say of art activity and advertising in the loosest sense. But then the early night. thinking about the something I've been thinking about on and off for a while. I suppose the early nineteen eighties is also the moment at which the pictures generation emerges. And for better, for worse, the pictures generation, Cindy Cindy Sherman, Richard Prince, Robert Longo, Sherry Levine, um, Christopher Williams, I think, was originally defined as a member of the group, one or two others, um, who were very much defined as a new radical generation for the early 1980s and who have since obviously become in the shape of people like Sherman and Prince, particularly hugely influential upon contemporary art, both stylistically and, one might say, in terms of kind of the structure of the way contemporary art is marketed.
0: And their attitude to, yes, to make indeed.
1: Them. And yet, what was interesting to me was that, particularly if you start looking at Richard Prince's working methods... At Sherman's working methods, they in some respects represent a similar. They, they demand, they not represent, they demand a similar blurring of boundaries, a confusion of categories, shall we say.
0: Do you mean, for, for instance, with Richard Prince, who, tell me if I'm wrong, but he took photographs of parts of adverts. Yes. So he would be using advertising as a source. Yes. And then representing a. Fragment of a Avanaz, a cowboy.
1: Yeah, most famously using a series of Marlboro
0: adverts. Yes. And, yes. And, and 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 so that that's where you what you mean by the crossing over, do you Yes. Yes.
1: In part. And coupled with that and what okay. Let's say what Prince is doing there is not necessarily that new because in a way high modernist art had quite happily appropriated imagery from Advertising from the everyday world.
0: Comics. It's, I mean, well, yeah, you could look at instance. comics. You
1: can look in the early sixties. You could look at the work of people like Ray Johnson, for example, would be a very good case in point. Or um, further back, you know, you can go beyond that kind of neo-Dada proto-Freudist moment. Do you mean Schwitters and, and the, coll- exactly. the, coll- the collar. Yeah, you come back to Schwitters and his, you know, beautiful kind and. Kind of bus tickets and things like that, or you come to Picabia, whose most of Picabia's mechanomorphs are based upon industrial or technical illustrations that he finds in popular media. Um, so there is a routine use there. But the difference, the fundamental difference, I would argue, between what modernism does, let's say what Schwitters does, what Picabia does, up to a point, Um and what happens with the pictures generation is um, is that there is still an assumption on their part that whilst they close the gap between art and life by taking material, which is obviously kind of famously, or in a clichéd way, one of modernism's aspirations, while they t- while they kind of seek to close the gap between art and life by introducing the quotidian, what they at the same time imagine that they are doing is that they are elevating it to a new register the register of art through their intervention now the difference as I would see it for the pictures generation would be that in a sense the gap between art and life has closed it has perhaps already closed um it has been closed not through the activity of art, but as Hal Foster, I think, discerned in a very influential little, lovely little book called Design and Crime, um, that effectively it's closed by the side of capital, and it is closed in a sense through the the creation of what we might now kind of the prototypes of what we would now define as the creative industries. So already through Marketing through advertising, through the invention of media such as the pop video, effectively already the strategies of art have been incorporated. The appropriation, artists imagine they are making an appropriation from the quotidian to art. In fact, they've already been subsumed within the register of mass culture, of the everyday, and all that's left to them, the point I do make in the essay is that effectively all that's left to them is a kind of an illusion that they are somehow able to stand outside this cycle of appropriation and act as if they were auto- autonomous artists.
0: You mentioned Benjamin Bookclow as being a sort of supporter of of some of these people who then cha- who then changed, and he then didn't. Follow on, I was thinking... Well, Bucklow
1: has an interestingly conflicted... I think Bucklow's main support initially is for, in the 1970s, when he's quite a young critic still, um, for Dara Birnbaum's work. Birnbaum, at that point, is making quite crude collage videos um, where she's taking stills... The most famously would be her appropriation of the American... TV series Wonder Woman, where she makes appropriations and kind of loops out of particular scenes there and through kind of an insistent repetition of particular motifs draws attention to elements of the commercial Aspects of television that you wouldn't and of those series that you wouldn't ordinarily see in by, kind by the kind of straightforward narrative flow, well not even subtle differences you start to find yourself watching things like scenery and seeing how absolutely false it is. you start watching things like costumes the whole and then indeed the whole kind of notion of power and transformation that characterizes a figure such as Wonder Woman once you see it repeated often enough becomes risible um. And Buklo very strongly supports what Birnbaum is doing with that. When Birnbaum starts to experiment with digital tools, with the first part of her um, trilogy, uh, Damnation of Faust, is the particular part... I'm thinking, of what is that first part of that trilogy? Um, yeah, every, yeah, Damnation of Faust, part one, which is Evocation... Um, and there, despite the fact, actually, I would argue, that Birnbaum draws on a whole series of kind of art historical figures as well um, within, within that particular narrative. But Chloe absolutely condemns what she's doing, um, not least, I suspect, because she puts it alongside a soundtrack that includes a fair amount of contemporary rock music. Um, so this really kind of... This, this upset Buclos greatly. And, as he said, many of the most... Progress- potentially most progressive features of the medium have by now turned out to be a trap for artists who find themselves caught between the reaffirmation of traditional values and techniques in the world of high art and an attitude of increasing certainty that culture, consumption and ideology are congruent. Now, I think he possibly... Possibly Birnbaum's not the person he should be aiming at, but in an odd sort of way, he manages to quite adequately describe there what the pictures generation does. You know, he could actually be talking... If you took video out of that...
0: It could be Cindy Sherman.
1: It could be Cindy Sherman. It could be Richard Prince. And... Precisely in a way that one of the points I make again is that Prince surrender, in even surrenders technical capacity. Prince is no photographer, so that beyond playing with the camera, all of the work on the Marlborough series is done by photographic places that would all, in any case be processing advertising. So he's almost the critique of the industry is produced within the industry as product.
0: But just so, so to be for me to understand where they, where you think they, where there's a problem, where there's a, where there's what you would probably and have described, I think in the piece, is the loss of the subjectivity. Is is that you know? Because I, mean, I remember looking at Richard Prince's photographs and th- being shocked a by the fact they're not really collages, just because they're just one image. Yeah. But they are actually in a way because they have found, taken something and represented it, which is really what collage. Mm-hmm. you could say, does. Yes. Yeah.
1: well, they're there single-image appropriations. But not by, Mont, not by... Yeah, but the
0: single-image yeah. collage is a rare thing in a way.
1: Yeah, although... Mont, was. Mont, it's what Picabia does throughout. Picabia oh, Picabia okay. yeah, okay. makes very few kind of collages, but he makes a lot of appropriations of particular images, which he then modifies. Or, in some cases, doesn't modify at all. Um,
0: but I was just going to say about Prince's photographs. Yeah. Is that I remember thinking, oh, they're very... Sad in a way, now I know i 'm bringing stuff to the work, but that's what we do, but because you, you knew it well, you could see because it was blurred and it, you, it looked like a photograph of a of a of a poster, yes not to the extent that you know you saw all the dots and everything, but it definitely was you, you, it almost felt like it, it did make a comment because it created this mood I felt that there was a sadness about this because you knew it was a photograph of a cowboy so A, it's it's an aspiration. In the first place that you're presented, and then it's a removed aspiration because it's been represented even further away, so the aspiration is pushed back and back and I thought that was quite powerful in 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 that it did have some it seemed to have more than complicity it wasn't just being complicit with the industry i didn't think mm, maybe except that I would
1: say he's he's actually employing exactly the same kind of tug on the heartstrings the same appeal to affect you, uh,
0: okay okay
1: so the as, the as the as the advert would be using okay
0: i understand what you're saying so, so basically he doesn't step outside of really what they're doing yeah okay yes i'm just an old romantic <laughs> <laughs> oh we, we could all be
1: old all romantic <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, i don't want to put you off your flow because you're yeah. doing very well so where were we well In we we did, did bucharesti so we don't we done yeah, we don't because
0: on... because because basically you were saying that his writing could be equally applied as yes. if it was writing about Cindy yeah. Sherman, so we're, we're with these Pixar generation, aren't we?
1: Yeah.
0: And then actually, what you do in your essay is bring up um, the the um, American Psycho. Novel now, which which is and you and you actually use the character, don't you? Yeah, in in the novel, as uh, almost as if they're uh, not in the novel. Actually, I thought.
1: Well, I I, I have to say, uh, as I do, tend to think of Patrick Bateman as an artist of the Pictures Generation.
0: Well, I think I think you need to explain this, except (laughs) that
1: his his medium his medium perhaps is murder rather than um, rather than a making photographs. Yeah, there,
0: there is a quote in, in in your piece actually where if you just you extracted it tell what it sounds like you know murder is actually the only way of making art now <laughs> which i think um, is a, obviously a mystery. without wishing but...
1: to encourage people out there to, <laughs> to
0: in in any way think that i would in
1: in a way i would say that that Bateman finds and you kind of have to read i I'm, i i american psycho I is a novel that obviously Divides opinion. I happen to think it's one of the masterpieces of post war American literature. Um, But Patrick Bateman, in a sense, is someone who is effectively without an identity. His identity is constructed wholly out of commodities. In that sense, he's an akin, shall we say, to a Cindy Sherman figure. In the film, still as a oh okay as not to Cindy Sherman no we haven't got there but as the image but as the image and Mary Harron makes a lovely there is a point where I kind of expose that which Mary Harron makes absolutely explicit in her film of American Psycho, where she in fact changes the interior scene the interior decor in the novel, um, Bateman rather unusually given his other tastes. And given what yuppies in the 1980s tended to buy, you'd have expected him to be on a number for Julian Schnabel. Um, he collects quality art. He collect, He has a, He has Stubbs drawings and things like that in the novel. In Mary Harron's film, his apartment is decorated with a Cindy Sherman, untitled film, still number 56, with one of um, Princess Marlborough men, and with a couple of Robert Longo Men in the City's, um large-scale pieces. Now, so she actually aligned his tastes as kind of with the picture's generation. And in a way, historically, that's quite unusual, because in the 1980s, whilst Longos were kind of entry-level art for yuppies in the art market, the untitled film stills were a bit of a drag on the market. Hard to believe. Um given what they cost now, but they really sometimes sold for very little money and Metro Pictures' backroom had quite a lot of them in even by the late 80s. Um, And it took MoMA's purchase of of one whole set, I think, to um, galvanise interest elsewhere. So, but anyway, that aside, so there is an affinity between Bateman and the Pictures' generation to this extent. Bateman is made up entirely out of the stuff of the everyday world. He is made out of commodities. He has no interior sense of himself other than when he kills. Or one might argue that killing is his attempt to find out whether or not he has a real identity. And part of the comedy of that is that he's actually marked out by the fact that the people he kills often think he's someone other than who he is. Um so he's kind of constantly being misrecognised and names being changed. So all of these marks of distinction that he have actually add up to nothing. He's indistinguishable from all the other um high earning yuppies around him. So Bateman is effectively a man made up of things of advertising with no interior subjective sense. He is constantly, constantly mistaken for others. And what I'm interested in is that effectively there is still outside of this system, outside of this non-entity, a Bateman who is somehow able to construct or imagine that he can articulate a response to his own behaviour. He imagines out there that he has some kind of exterior subjectivity that is beyond the world that he that actually organises him. And I would say that in trying to articulate the construction of subjectivity from mass culture, at the moment when they do, the pictures generation are labouring under a similar illusion, that autonomy, artistic ex- autonomy, still exists somewhere beyond... The work they are making, in the role of the artists, even as they are already wholly in thrall to commodity culture, the commoditization of aesthetics, and effectively making work that is made out of nothing but commodity.
0: So, Brett Easton Ellis, yep. Brett, Brett Easton Ellis the, the the author, obviously he presumably is what you'd he's the Cindy Sherman in this relationship. No, no. Because I was thinking, well, he's the author of the novel. Yes. So that's the way... I mean, in a way, if there was an art being made at the time... People
1: make this mistake, you see. People make the mistake of confusing Patrick Bateman within the novel as somehow being the narrative voice of Brett Easton Ellis. And given that, actually, Patrick Bateman is probably the best, most unreliable narrator in History of Western literature since Tristram Shandy. Um, I don't think that's actually the case. So I don't I think there's actually a very great deal of authorial control in there, and I don't think there's the slightest equation okay. between Eastern Ellis. Yeah. East, I have no doubt, given Eastern Ellis' social milieu, that he knew an awful lot of Patrick Bateman's. But I'm not no, no, to actually, I, but, didn't but I, mean, I, didn't, was I wasn't suggesting that, that really, yeah. really,
0: I didn't mean to suggest really yeah. that Eastern Ellis is the same as Indy Sherman. But I, I, he's not, is he? Because he, no. he, he clearly is, is overview. And, well, and, partly because
1: Bateman, in a sense, the critique that Eastern Ellis makes in American Psycho is fundamentally... And quite excoriating. I would say Easton Ellis is making the same kind of attack on this particular generation as I'm making here. Whereas it would, I would say, kind of interestingly, I would see Mary Harron's film as rather more complicit with the Pictures Generation. So much as I like that film, I think that there are problems with it. Um, no, I think that in a sense. And if you remember, actually, a very good point. Um, that Eastern Ellis, then the difference, if you like, one might say, between Eastern Ellis, let's say, as a critic of nineteen eighties American culture and the Pictures Generation, as critics, as critics of that particular culture. Eastern Ellis finishes American Psycho with, I think, the phrase: "This is not an exit," and he begins it with a quote from Dante. Abandon all hope you who enter here is written on the side of whichever bank it is, and which is the beginning of Dante's Inferno, from the beginning of Dante's Inferno. So for Eastern Ellis, this is quite clearly hell and there is no way out of it. For the pictures generation, and I think particularly for some of the people who are kind of their critical boosters, people such as Craig Owens who were making, let's say, politicised investments in... This art in terms of its critique of authorship, in terms of its critique of subjectivity and blah, 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 was to say, actually, this is art that somehow within this closed circle can somehow have a political or historical efficacy in the way that modernism imagined art could have such an efficacy. And I would argue that's an illusion. I would argue that that is completely almost a kind of ghostly residue of what people imagine art should do but actually once the gap between art and life is closed it is no longer capable of doing tough <laughs> so give up now
0: <laughs> i mean i think it's important actually at some point that we do we do maybe or i i ask you well, i could do it now but why you're writing about this now in other words do you you're talking about some some art made in the 80s and 90s Yes. And we're sitting here in 2013 and there's a lot of video gone through the cameras since then indeed um is it is it, is it still doing really i what, what, i don't same... think
1: yes I mean I, I, which is why at the very beginning I kind of say that actually one of the crucial moments in the history of art insofar as it's a, in the history of art at all but it is perhaps a critical moment in the history of art because it's almost I might say it's the final, almost the final nail in the coffin, um, is that the pictures generation, the pictures generation, and the congruency of art and advertising, loosest sense, within the culture industry is still very much with us, indeed, one might argue. In a sense, the pictures generation represents the key moment when that actually... when, when things change. That's the point, from, almost from which one might say there's no return.
0: What well, is it's impossible, or, or to actually, people just haven't.
1: I don't think... I'm not... Well... Ah,
0: that that may not possible? be the right question. I hope
1: that. it... I, the, the old romantic utopian in me would like to think it's possible, um, but I fear there aren't many people doing it. If they are doing it, I'm pretty sure they're not doing it within the gallery system. Well,
0: where would you say they were doing it? Well, I... Or, hmm, or, can you, can you do you have an example? I was about unfair, but... Not off the top of my head. I One of the things I would...
1: perhaps refer back to would be a book by the Retort Collective um, made in the wake of nine eleven and the invasion of Afghanistan and then the invasion of Iraq, where they – and these people, by and large, you know, some senior academics in the Retort Collective, including T.J. Clark, the art historian, and – Remembering back to an interview they then subsequently did with the academic journal October after the publication of this book, where they were asked, Why haven't you included any contemporary art? The art that they talked about in order to reflect upon the historical moment in which they lived, and a fairly significant and important historical moment. You know, the book is titled, you know, the book takes its title from Milton. It takes, and its examples are drawn... You know, the latest example of a work of art that they even talk about is Picasso's Guernica and the veiling of Guernica in the UN. Now, their point being, and as Clark, I think, actually said in the interview, that, in a way, his notion of the art, the art system of the empire, as he would call it, and I think he's using roughly Deleuze and and Guattari's, um, Hart and Negri's um, notion of empire there rather than the old imperialist notion of empire, Um, that, in a way, if it makes critique, if it makes a historical critique at all, it is fundamentally a spurious one enacted for the market. And I would say, actually, we do see examples of that, the best one of which would be the current British pavilion in the Venice Biennale, um, you mean
0: Jerry Deller, yes, yeah, yeah,
1: completely. I think I would say Della's made his whole career actually out of the spurious reenactment of protest and community. But there you go. Um, <laughs> the so is there a possibility to make it? I don't think it's within the art system, or hardly at all. And if people start outside it it's very easily for the, the art system to actually recuperate it, to actually draw people in with the with kind of you know, the promise of making untold riches out of selling art. You know, there's 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 good careers to be had turning rebellion into money. Yeah. And has been for the last thirty, forty years.
0: i just had warhol come to mind because you then you do mention him bri- briefly i think but um this this whole thing about the image being you know richard prince's image it's like a post pop thing or this it i wondered if actually it started started with pop you know the picture generation coming out of do you see them coming out of pop um there's a degree to which <sighs> pop Maybe. I mean,
1: there are – actually, yes, up to a point in the sense that there's – pop has two faces, clearly, because there are people who use the products of advertising, the advertising industry in the 1950s and 60s, like Richard Hamilton, as fundamentally critical of the world that they inhabit. They satirise it. They they seek to undermine it through its own own language.
0: It's using irony. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Whereas people like Warhol, or more explicitly, one might even say, say, a painter like Tom Wesselman or someone like that, seem to me. Warhol, what is Warhol so right? Yeah, Warhol, I think Warhol likes stuff. Warhol likes commodity culture. Um, Warhol does have a complicity with playing that system. I'm not sure. I mean, he likes he likes critiquing or he likes parodying Hollywood, and he's probably better at kind of ironically parodying Hollywood than Cindy Sherman with the untitled film stills. But at the same time, I think he's making a fundamental investment in it. He, he would see himself quite happily as belonging to that culture rather than wanting to actually destroy it or change it in yeah, some way. I
0: remember always being very confused about whether he was or not because I mean, this repetition of the star being, mm. you know... Another Liz Taylor yeah, picture. Yeah. He seemed to be, make me feel, oh, I, I, he seemed to belittle them or, or show well, them for what they were. Well, in
1: uh, a way, he does. and I think, not, well, not really. I wonder celebrate. whether Warhol does that. You see, my problem is I don't know that Warhol does that advertently.
0: No, I've always. Agreed. I think bit...
1: that, you know, the very fact that the the repetitions of Marilyn, the repetitions of Elizabeth Taylor and doing them in different colours, as he once said, I think, like different towels in a department different colour towels in a department store, that. Yes, that exposes the degree to which the star of popular culture is simply nothing more than an object, a thing, endlessly recyclable, endlessly representable. representable. Yeah. And in degree the perpetuations of Marilyn years after her death would be, you know, a classic example. I think Marilyn Dead is probably older than me live, so um or near as damn it. So it's like That's something that Warhol very clearly does. Whether he's conscious of doing that, or whether it's something that do artists have to be conscious? I don't know. I mean, you know, that's where Warhol's greatness resides, in that he exposes that. But I think it's a fundamental. You know, I don't think he's using the culture in the same way, pop culture in the same way as somebody like Hamilton does. And then, when we would get to say Sherman, let's if we were to compare Hamilton and Prince, then I think that Prince has not a trace of irony, right? Or critique, right? In a sense, it's a representation of the thing as the thing as the
0: thing. And Sidney Sherman doesn't have irony either, would you say? Um, I, maybe I think they the might, right, well, I and that I think
1: maybe up, they, that, maybe yeah, irony is not necessarily the right But I think that both those artists might imagine that they are capable of the kind of critique that somebody like Hamilton is making, and clearly, somebody you know, kind of Craig Owens writing about them, imagines that they are capable of that kind of critique, at the same time as he's busy using their authorship as a demonstration that authorship is no more um, and that authors are dead, which is clearly a good thing for some reason. Um, but that, in fact, the nat- the historical nature of the world they inhabit, having changed so much, the kind of small degree of purchase that Richard Hamilton might have had in the 1950s or 1960s as an artist critiquing pop culture is no longer available to artists of the pictures generation except as a romantic myth.
0: So to be Richard Hamilton is a romantic... No, to be...
1: For them, then. For them. I would say now, to imagine you are an artist who is making work that is somehow... Independent and autonomously critical of the world that you inhabit, and particularly the systems, w- and in the case of somebody like Della, the systems in which you place it, is no more than a romantic myth of artistry. It's in a sense it's 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 a it's a ghostly legacy of a couple of hundred years of picture making, but it no longer, if it ever, if if that figure of autonomy ever had any historical efficacy, and that in itself is a moot point.
0: Yeah, because I mean, it may not.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, you know, kind of, I can see how, you know, what where, I mean, does culture really ever change the world? But
0: it's, I mean, it's interesting you use Hamilton because I mean, I think yeah. when I think of Hamilton, you, you uh, he's very, conservative with a small C. Painter mm-hmm. in many ways, and he—I he, know he did installations, and I know he did remaking of the large glass and all these different things. But if you, a lot of his painting—he and he had a show recently at the National. Yeah, it's very traditional in some yes. ways, uh, except it—it it might have bits that slip out, and, and 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 like you know things like you mentioned that you know when you watch the early work. Of, who was the video artist you mentioned earlier, where where you saw it again and again, and you noticed Darren Burnham. Yeah, Darren Burnham. I mean, it's a sort of maybe you notice things because he draws attention to things. That you wouldn't know otherwise, but it's in the form of the work is incredibly oil you know, on board. Yeah, or... Yes,
1: and very, very skillfully made. Very often,
0: yes. yes. Oh, he's a great. Yeah, he's tec- a craftsman in that tec- sense. You know, technically. Isn't he? Yeah.
1: Well, I, and I think that's one of the other interesting things, and kind of I come back to Prince's kind of surrender of the language
0: to, to another maker, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I think that's okay. That's something we, by and large, seen with contemporary art now is the displacement of skills of making. Now, speaking of language in general, I would say that if you want to actually put a point of view across, if you actually want to be able to say something in any medium, whether it's words or music or film or sculpture or painting, you probably need to actually have some kind of technical control of the medium in which you decide to work. Um. Most writers still have that. Very few writers, I think, commission other people to write their books for them. Um, probably does happen to some. Well, does happen to some degree. Obviously, footballers and fashion no, stars. But, yeah, but not But, writers, but, but so whereas well. most, a great many artists today will willingly make no more than a sketch and then commission the work to be made elsewhere.
0: Yeah, I mean, Michael Landis' show at the National, Mm -hmm. all the machines that are in there that are based on the paintings of the National, they're not made by him at all. Mm. Completely made from drawings and collages, and then... But actually, they're the most interesting thing in there, the machines. Yeah.
1: Um but then you know that that kind of commissioning of external craftsmen who will be kind of the shipping, which actually kind of has an interesting parallel to the art to the activity, the economic activities of empire in t. j clark's terms that it 's a kind of almost a displacement offshore in the same way as objects that are very often sold in the West for significant sums of money may be produced much more cheaply by craftsmen elsewhere, trainers clothes. Whatever. So, indeed, the work of art, your high end work of art, may be which you may sell for, let's say, let's say, let's say, craft, let's say, sculpture. Sculpture, that, let's say, low end price sculpture, sculpture that might sell for 30 000 or 40,000 pounds. You can very happily have that made by a craftsman in Europe for three, 000, four, 000, five thousand pounds. The rest is marketing.
0: So Paul Noble's marbles in Gagosian, although I'm not quite sure how they were made, but they weren't made here. I think they were yeah. made, I think they were made in Italy. Yeah. I think, but that kind of example. Yes, but okay, plenty, plenty now and,
1: and, and okay, there is a degree to which, let's be clear, a great many modernist and indeed pre-modernist sculptors did not cast. You know, no, very few people cast their own sculptures. They made they made, pl- but they made plaster. They made the plaster. The casting is a technical process, but. The majority of artists still had a kind of a technical skill in terms of sculpting, whether it's carving wood or stone. Hepworth, for example, learned to carve stone herself. She never, was never taught it at the Rock. No, uh, at the but rock a lot
0: of the people York. have taught themselves Photoshop, Chris. And they do it on the computer, and then all they do is then take that and have it printed out somewhere and, yes. mount, and mounted. So there is a there is a craft, you could say... In, in, in the manipulation of imagery in the manipulation of the computer of image, In the digital manipulation yeah, of I mean, I, I just
1: Yes, that would be exactly I, the same skill as employed precisely within the advertising industry. Photoshop would be a tool, for example, then, in which there's no difference, between, um, or Final Cut Pro, in which there is no difference between the techniques of advertising, of the commercial world,
0: yeah.
1: of the everyday and the register of art
0: so so it sounds like i'm not trying to bring it everything down to one thing at all but you you basically are saying the art has to be f- physically different as well as as well as the approach or the attitude or the things it refers to or its source material it has to physically be different as well in its production to that which it's criti- critiquing is that fair? Or is that- well, that would presume that it's still
1: capable of actually making the critique, which I'm not so sure yeah, about. Yeah, because I thought, well, I thought yeah.
0: really it would be more philosophical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Than- no, no.
1: Um, you know, my, my, I think part of the problem would be that it almost doesn't matter whether, yes, it is in Final Cut Pro, you don't have, you know, yeah, Final Cut Pro's there. Um, let's use it. But I, and yes, the advertising industry used to use film and used to use Steenbeck's in the same way as, as avant-garde filmmakers used to use Steenbeck's. Um, I don't know that there's a way around that. I'm not sure that there is an escape from complicity with the world of objects, let's say, the world of commodities. So that art is necessarily now always already a commodity. Um, I think my point is to imagine that you can make art that is somehow critical of that system and whether you try and do that within or even outside of it, is there an outside, um, would be an illusion. Ultimately, it would be as illusory a way of defining yourself as Patrick Bateman's acts of murder are illusory acts because they're possibly fictional. They're possibly entirely within his head. Um, that, in a sense, the making of art as a notion that you are somehow outside the system is the illusion that I'm trying to challenge here.
0: Yeah. No, and I, and I'm, I'm not meaning to force you to come up with a sort of answer to all this that you're raising. You're, you're, you, you've clearly identified an issue or a situation... And exemplified, and proved it, ex- it exists. That's what that's what your piece is doing. Not answering what to do mm. about it. Well,
1: yes, I, d- I don't want you know. I, I, there's no point. Well, I, I come back to Tristan Zara, you know, kind of, um, and Zara's manifesto Zara's Zara, Dada manifesto, that uh, we have no manifest. Our manifesto is that we have no manifesto, um, because I don't think there are necessarily prescriptive solutions or indeed prescribed solutions within the existing systems, the existing net circulation, let's say, of ideas and commodities that constitute Western culture or indeed globalised culture now. It seems to me that the interesting activity that takes place in terms of historical critique uh, comes from... Individuals and networks that somehow slip the system. And as yet, we haven't really seen any art being made within, you know, kind of any culture necessarily that's emerging within those networks of protest, resistance, whether that's in Europe or in Turkey, Turkey now part of Europe sooner or later, um, that and maybe that's because, OK, the, cu- the kind of the systems of representing culture and talking about culture that we have here in the mainstream don't really want to talk about those productions, or actually it's possibly because if people are so busily trying to fight for real economic social change or indeed real economic social status quo rather than have the complete corrosion of their livelihood, um, they don't have time... For the um, frivolities of making art.
0: No, I just, I just hope that they're not all uh, doing it in order to be able to be good capitalists and just, you know, fight, fight the revolution in order to then to be able to buy things. Well,
1: I think most artists now are good capitalists, um, even when they're good revolutionaries, um, and that's been that's been the case for a very long time. Um, maybe it was always the case. I I made the remark about turning rebellion into money. Um, it's actually a quote from The Clash. Oh, is it? From 1977. So we can go all the way back to punk yeah. to actually thinking about um, whether or not, you know, kind of the point at which this kind of conversion of radical energy which supposedly informs modernist art and supposedly informs a young artist and everything else. But actually, at what point does it become little more than kind of a service provided to the market to actually... And I think institutions like that, you know, certain institutions like protest art in order to kind of legitimate their own appearance of radicalism within an existing established system.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I always imagined that, that that as a as a punk, which I was sort of I used to leap about, jump up and down. Me too. Years ago, yeah. the thing, <laughs> thing was the energy involved, and then sort of uh, it was at a time here anyway where 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 we squatted and did things like that. So mm-hmm. so, but that was because the hazard were available. But the kind of energising that it had, so like, you know, make your own band, do it really easily. Yep. You know. No, a... te-
1: no, technical, no technical facility with the language whatsoever. Most no, of it... us couldn't play, most of us couldn't write and most of us yeah. couldn't play an instrument. And, so. and, you know, and
0: squat a house. <laughs> yes. And then develop that. And out of that did possibly come certainly uh, a sort of an ability to, to feel you were a bit more in control to do things for yourself more and, you know, make things happen. I'm not suggesting for a minute outside of anything, but there was a certain, there definitely... Definitely had a, there was that energy that, 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 that,
1: mm. that. But wasn't that just because Britain in the seventies was so suffocatingly awful? Oh, absolutely,
0: no, absolutely, no, no. But but I mean, you know, you could somebody will say that it is now. Well, I think they'd be
1: right. Yeah. So so you know. I it, feel like jumping up and down and spitting at people. Well, yes, all yes, I yes, haven't
0: quite got enough energy anymore. But no, no. But it 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 it's something to do with that that there is a way out sometimes. But it's it's. As you say, it's sort of between things, maybe so you don't you know you you think you might mean to punk music, but actually what happens is you form a band and well to have a band, you've got to have somewhere to practice, so then you squat a house, so then you think, well, I've squatted this house and I can live here now, oh, I can do other things like that you know mm. it, it leads somewhere else, which yes. is. Not what you thought, and it's not art, and it's but it might be anything, you know. It could, it could be you end up having a garden with of vegetables that you didn't think you could grow, you know. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, I I see what you're saying about being. that It's possibly somewhere else other than in the art world, and I don't yeah, think...
1: or in well, or in any channel of mainstream discourse, right? I think Um it might be why. I think I'm going to throw this out completely on the limb, and there is a kind of relationship to the art world in this, in that. I think it's one of the reasons why artists using obsolescent media...
0: A revival of that?
1: Yes, self-consciously, are perhaps most interesting. Somebody like Tassadine would be a good point. Um, But also then those modes of expression which have become almost redundant... In Western culture, and I'm thinking, for example, of poetry. No one reads poetry. Well, famously, no. Big apparently, talk. it's quite popular. Then. But apparently, but it's not in the sense it's almost impossible to commoditize it. No one buys it very much.
0: It's read out, isn't it? It's read it. out, yes. but
1: no one buys it very much. You know, there are very, very few full-time poets anywhere in the world. Um, Most of them have nice, safe teaching jobs, or in the case of Thomas Lynch, they're undertakers. um, So it's something that almost has become so entirely neglected, overlooked. It's not something you can actually turn into product. That may be where hope lies. Making something that absolutely resists reification. and I think, in a way, I'd argue that, borrowing an argue, argument from Frederick Jameson, that's where we might actually look at what ultimately characterises the great works of art, even of modernism, is the degree to which they absolutely resist, even as the, even if they are sometimes adopted as kind of tokens of our culture. That, I
0: mean, I mean, the, the, the know, happening. Yes. For instance, would, would in my book, fit what you're saying? Yes. In many ways. I mean, I know you end up with the documentary of it, and that yeah. can be. And it you ultimately, that
1: restaged and becomes the, yeah, the artifacts around it, maybe. You know, become performance artifacts and yes. all that kind of area yeah. of
0: post yeah. performance, but well, basically yeah. performance and happenings. The
1: moment, and yes. And, Although, land, and land
0: art, possibly? Yes. I mean, pretty damn difficult to
1: reify Spiral Jetty, well, exactly. given it's only there half the time. Yeah. But. Um, well, and I certainly feel yeah. at the
0: moment that those those, yeah. are, those areas are very interesting. Those are interesting areas I to do, look back I on. It's not nostalgia. No, it's actually looking is, at them to see yeah. how do I work that yeah. now? Where would that? What yeah. would you do now to be like to do something equivalent?
1: Yeah, and even to say, actually, I want to make an intervention in landscape, for example. And not, but not to actually make it within conventional channels, not to say, I need to find a funding agency well, to go dis- I mean, it's like Mark Wong is still waiting for the
0: yeah. money to do his white
1: horse. To go in that. Just literally, you want to intervene in the landscape, go into a wood, go into a field, go into the mountains, you know, and, in a sense, do something. Yeah. Even if it's making a chalk mark on a tree.
0: I mean, the elegant the elegant people, are Richard Long, what I mean is that he elegantly then makes an object which is sold, which records somehow that he went on this walk yes. and did this thing yes. you just described yes. you know yeah. Smith, Smith or, smithson or to
1: be desperately unfashionable since i know that most people on the kind of the really serious intellectual side of the art world loathe him and would probably have him killed immediately andy goldsworthy
0: okay no absolutely yeah. andy goldsworthy yeah. david nash but but andy goldsworthy has yeah. probably sold more books than most yes. artists yes yes certainly in this country yeah but beautiful Golds- photography. But
1: Goldsworthy is not regarded as a serious artist. No, no. Yet beautiful photography. Yet initially, when he started making those interventions, they were precisely that kind of absolutely delicate, unobserved intervention. You'd in unseen. Yeah, he's not hanging around waiting, as you say, for a commissioning agency. No, no, he's making the work in the same way. You know, no one thinks of a commissioning agency to actually. Oh, I need to write a poem. Yeah. Um no one who writes a poem is thinking about how can I put a book together to sell it? No You make the work because the work demand has an insistence on its being made. And whilst that may be and even that okay, I, I still come back to the point, Is poetry gonna change the world? I don't know. Um but it depends who least, reads it, but what they do you do having well, read that, it, doesn't it? But really? you are not. I know that if you are making those small... Discrete gestures within the world. You are not, at that moment, a captive of the economic and social systems of empire. You are not making advertising product in the way that most artists now, in terms of film, they're making film or photographs or indeed paintings or sculptures ultimately are because they're effectively making it for the economic system of, of, West, of, of art galleries. So
0: Larry can make another gallery somewhere else.
1: And so that another gangster can park his yacht in the harbour at Venice <laughs> and wander in and kind of pretend that he's somehow participating in the system of culture.
0: Well, I think we should have stopped just before we said that last bit because we yeah, nice... probably just committed suicide. It's now. a nice note. <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> no, you were coming up with something positive. I, I did get you actually to come up with some kind of approach that was possibly an alternative. So I'm I don't pleased. want to be I'm too positive. Yeah, I don't that.
1: want to be too positive and alternative. I don't want to seem no, no, no. far too practical. About no, no, it, no anyway, I'm, I'm, you know, I'd like to, like to be us. at the back of the room just yelling rubbish all the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming in again. We're both quite hot because we've been in this smaller studio upstairs at Resonance and it's a hot day today uh, for once in Britain. And, uh, listener, thank you very much for doing so and we do hope you'll come back and listen to us again. Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM is what you've been listening to. You may have been doing it live. You may be doing it as a podcast. This is actually a recording. It's a complicated world. See you next month. Bye-bye. Thanks, Chris. Bye.